Many of us have seen a show and heard about things like The Prince and the Pauper. Anybody seen? That's been like remade a bunch of times. About this boy. They're like basically looking like twins. One of them is the prince living in the king's palace, and the other one is just some poor kid out on the streets of England. And they run into each other, and they're like, hey, we look the same. Let's switch for a day. And there's this excitement of this poor kid to actually be the king's son. He doesn't quite know how to act, and he's trying to figure it out. But there's this excitement about being the king's son. And we see things like that, and it does kind of move our hearts. I think most of us would identify with the pauper, the poor person, and go, wow, wouldn't that just be amazing? Even young boys, when they're playing, they like to be kings and have castles or be a knight in the service. And little girls like to be what? Princesses. I don't know how many princess dresses we have at my house. But even if there's no princess dresses out, they'll take a blanket and turn it into a princess dress. We, something inside of us just has this longing, this desire within us for royalty. To be part of something special and to have, to have a father that has some kind of authority and standing. And we have that in Christ with God being our father. I think one of the reasons why we have this, this kind of desire within us for those things is because God has placed it in us because we were always meant to be his children. And I want to ask you, When was the last time you heard a sermon on adoption? I'm not talking about why we as humans should adopt other humans. But the doctrine of adoption. That God the Father adopts sinners into his family. Unfortunately, it's not discussed all too often, but it is by far one of the most beautiful doctrines that you can find anywhere in Scripture. This doctrine of adoption is an application of redemption, having been predestined by the Father on the basis and accomplished by the work of the Son and applied by His Spirit. And we see this in our passage. Notice Ephesians 1.3. Paul with his doxology, his adoration. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he frames that, because in verse 2, what was it? God our Father. But now as he's getting in to these benefits and applications of redemption that have been done by the Father, his Father's salvific work, he's looking at it from that standpoint. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ because he chose us for himself in Christ before the foundation of the world to the end that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in the one who is beloved. Now we have been going concept through concept, almost word by word through this section of Ephesians, because this section in chapter one, verses three to 14, has some of the densest, most rich doctrine that you can find all throughout scripture. And it's immediately applicable to us because what chapters one through three, if you were to title that would be what? You guys remember? Ephesians breaks into two, right in the middle. One to three is the And four to six is the, one to three is the high calling of the church. Very good. And four to six is conduct. The high conduct of the church. It's the therefore. Now in light of these things, how then shall we live? Last week, we had the privilege God graced us with allowing us to look into what predestination is. And we looked at what the word predestined means, and we notice it's to decide beforehand, to predetermine. It's looking at a destiny ahead of time. The end is chosen before the beginning. And we recognize that this, this is something we do all the time. We make a decision before we actually go oftentimes, unless we have time to kill. But if you're going to go to the store, you don't just get in your car and just start driving mindlessly. You go, I need to go to this store and get these things. You plan it out, the end. End goal is that I would have bacon and eggs in my fridge. Therefore, these are the steps that I'm going to take. In Ephesians, God is saying, end goal for us. And one of those is predestining us to adoption. Predestining us to adoption. Just to summarize what we studied last week, oftentimes, because predestination is such a vast subject, oftentimes it's referred to election and reprobation. Election and reprobation. And we noted that God has actively chosen before time to set his love and mercy on some, and we, that's entitled election. But from the word that we have here, he chose. Christ will be our representative. He's our surety. He's our mediator. Justice will be withheld from us and placed on Christ, along with mercy applied to us. On the flip side of that, God has actively chosen before time to set his justice on others. Reprobation. This means individuals will represent themselves. No surety, no mediator, no Christ. Mercy will be withheld. Justice will be applied. And we use the illustration of when you're playing with a a balloon, you blow it up with air, you play it with your kids. Don't let it touch the ground. You bounce it, bounce it. If you stop hitting it, it's going to fall to the ground. You make a decision to pull away. That's what God does is he pulls away his restraining grace. And we saw that in Genesis 6. What happened? God said, my spirit's not going to contend with man forever. And he pulls back. 
And he ends up having to flood the whole earth. And it shows what happens when the Holy Spirit does not restrain sin. Did you know that even right now, the Holy Spirit is restraining sin in the world? Even right now, as an act of common grace, in election, God efficiently regenerates the heart, gives life, renews, made new, regenerates the heart to work faith and repentance and in reprobation, God removes his free grace. God removes the restraints. In a sense, like we see happen in Romans 1, he what? Gives them over. Grace is unmerited. It's not earned. It's not deserved. God's not a God of socialism. He's not going to say, oh, I have to submit my will to you and therefore I have to give you all the things that are mine. No, that's not how this works. God just says, I don't owe you anything. I'm not going to give you grace. And that's just. And we looked at Romans chapter 9 and we saw where it says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And we noticed that that's unfair. Would you agree with that? That's unfair. Because fair would be Jacob I hated, Esau I hated, because both of them were sinners. It's not fair, it's mercy. But God mercies whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. But when we take this concept of predestination, it's, it's lining up under chose. Verse 4, because he chose for himself, and this is what he did. He chose for himself, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Why would God do that? According to the kind intention of his will. That's why. What is this predestining to adoption? What is adoption? Well, I think it helps us. Oftentimes you don't hear a defense of election from the position of adoption. But Paul will often layer things in such a way so that you really have to do theological gymnastics to avoid the point he's making. We read through Romans 9, and he, it's a clear case. It's hard to swallow. It's not hard to understand. Just in our flesh, we don't like it. Like in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Grace by itself is unmerited. And that, not from yourselves, not anything that you have. It's the gift of God that had to be given to you. Apart from works, not something in yourself, not something that you can reach out and grab. It's a gift. See how he's building this from different angles so that we don't go, oh yeah, I chose God. You should have chosen God. Yeah, I'm just better than you. No, he's saying no. Why? So that no one may boast. Boasting is excluded. On our portion, all boasting goes to who? God who did this. The God who actually worked the salvation and at great cost to himself. Paul's doing similar here while illuminating us by extension with more truth. Adoption is the choice of the parent, not the child. Adoption is the choice of the parent and not the child. And oftentimes today in the adoption process, parents don't even get to pick their kids. 
They get to give characteristics that they would like, and then they get presented with children, and then at that time, they might be able to say yes or no, and if they say no, they get put on a longer waiting list. But nevertheless, children do not get to survey the landscape and say, I want that family. I I want Warren Buffett and Bill Gates to adopt me and make me their heir. That's ridiculous. We never hear of that. It doesn't happen. The selection, the choosing, is always on the part, just like it was in the Roman times, of the father. The father will choose the son. In Roman times, with the background that Paul's using here, the father always makes the decision to adopt whomever he wishes. So before we get any further, this afternoon what I want to do is I want to show you seven facets of adoption. If you're taking notes, now's a great time. Seven facets of adoption that should aid you in distinguishing between the children of Satan and their works and the children of God and their works so that to the end that you who are in Christ would take hold of your spiritual blessings as you press on toward the goal. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And he's laying out these spiritual blessings now, starting with election. And he's moving in here to adoption. We have been predestined before the foundation of the world. The markers were already laid. The destiny was already set. Adoption. So seven facets of adoption. And as we're going through this, we can be able to see, okay, who are the children of Satan? Who are the children of God? There's no mixture. There's no in-between. This is binary. This is one of those concepts that is black and white. There's not a gray area in this one. But for us who are in Christ, I want to go through these so that we will take hold of these spiritual blessings and apply them to our life and pursue Christ and press on toward the goal. Number one, the prominence of adoption. The prominence of adoption. Number two, the participants of adoption. The participants, plural, of adoption. Number three, the prize of adoption. The prize. Number four, the privileges. The privileges of adoption. Number five, the peculiar marks of adoption. Number six, the prescriptions of adoption. And number seven, the peacemakers of adoption. And before we get into the prominence of adoption, I just want to lay out some distinctions. Adoption is not justification. Adoption is not justification. Justification is a legal declaration, not guilty, but righteous. Nothing takes place intrinsically within us to to our nature with justification. It's just a legal declaration. Not guilty, but righteous by means of another. By means of a substitute, you have been justified. It's not just as if I'd never sinned. 
If you were to use that, you'd probably have to say, just as if I'd never sinned and always obeyed. There is a righteousness that comes from Christ that must be credited to our account. Remember, it's not infused within us. Nevertheless, it is a legal declaration. And how is justification made possible? Christ. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has broken God's law. And God is angry with the wicked every day. And the wages of sin is death. And so God has taken his son, not his adopted son, his only son, his only begotten son, whom he loves. And just as we saw when we read through Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac, his son, his only son, whom he loves. When Abraham stepped out in faith to sacrifice his son, his only son, whom he'd waited for so long for and finally had received the inheritance. In faith, he obeyed. But what happened? God provided a substitute. A ram was caught in the thicket. And on that mountain, God stayed his hand so that a couple thousand years later, he would bring it full swing all the way down again on his son. God provides the substitute. And the substitute for anyone living on this planet or considering moving to Mars is Jesus Christ. There is no other name among men given under heaven by which we must be saved, except for Jesus Christ. He is the only worthy one. What is necessary for justification and for adoption, what is intertwined with that is also regeneration. Now, regeneration is different than justification and different than adoption. Regeneration is not merely a declaration like justification is. Regeneration is actually a change to our nature. We've been regenerated. It's been made alive. God has made us alive in Christ, as Paul says. We've been tethered to Christ. He has life. We have his life by nature of our union with him. And the Spirit of God gives us a new heart, indeed a new soul, so that we're no longer sinners by nature but righteous, holy ones, because Christ is. And now we have the ability to live out the law of Christ and to grow with respect to righteousness. Now our legal declaration is perfectly righteous, but our inherent righteousness is growing as the Spirit works within us. We're born from above. We become new creatures we're holy ones by nature, new hearts, new desires, new affections. There is an actual change to our person, regeneration. Now, adoption, it'd be more similar to justification. Adoption is a change in status, a change in status. Nothing actually happens within us, but we're transferred from one family to another. Stephen Charnock puts it like this. Adoption 
gives us the privilege of sons. Regeneration gives us the nature of sons. That's a good summary. Adoption gives us the privilege of sons and regeneration, the nature of sons. So let's look at number one, the prominence of adoption. It's one thing to have your fine paid by a substitute. In justification, God is judge. Now that, that's, so you go and you get called to court for something that you're guilty of and, and the judge forgives you. Hey, I know you stole this, but this person paid it back for you. So you, you're not guilty. You have no fines to pay. Go ahead. You're good. Go. And you see that judge on the street later. You'd be like, thank you. That's different than if you see your father. If you're walking out and you see your father when you're walking around, do you just go, hey, thank you? And do you run to him and you embrace him? Justification, God is judge. Eternal life and under justification becomes what is due. In adoption, God is Father. Eternal life is an inheritance. This doesn't diminish in the slightest the beauty of justification. But it's one thing to receive life from heaven, to be born again from above, it's regeneration. And again, it's a beautiful doctrine. We do not cheapen any of these doctrines, but they are distinct. Yet whoever is justified will be adopted, and whoever is regenerated will be justified who will be adopted. They're distinct, but they're not separate. But there's just so much richness and beauty to be adopted. Have you ever seen children when they become adopted? The joy and the excitement that somebody cared for them enough and loved them to take them into their family, to love them as one of their own. You have been hand-selected by God. It says he chose us for himself, having predestined us to adoption. God, who has the choice of whatever he wants, whoever he wants. Hand-selected to have him as our father, to have Christ as our brother, and to have access to all the rights and privileges that rightly belong to Christ. This is the crowning jewel of the application of our redemption. That God would be our Father. That we can pray, our Father. Now, even though justification, redemption, and adoption are all distinct applications of our redemption, they're never separated. Regeneration is the spirit changing our hearts, our very natures. Adoption is the spirit inhabiting and abiding in our hearts. One person has put it kind of like this. Whereas regeneration is the Holy Spirit building a house for himself, adoption is when he dwells in that house. Look at John 14, 16 to 18. We went over this earlier on. A few weeks ago, Jesus' last will and testament. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. 
another helper, be with you forever. Who is this? The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as what? Orphans. I will come to you. He will dwell in that house. He will not leave us as orphans. Regeneration, look at John chapter 1. Regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration precedes faith. It goes before it. Adoption follows. Verse 12. But as many as received him, that is Christ, to him, to them, he gave the right, the authority to become children of God even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you see, there is this close relationship between regeneration and adoption. We are born from above, but we are adopted into the family of God. Regeneration engraves upon us the likeness of our father, and adoption actually makes us his children. Regeneration affects our nature, and adoption transfers our status. So what is implied here? But as many as received him to him, he gave the right to become children of God. What were we before that? That we had to become children of God. Were we in limbo? Kind of in this no man's land. And got no parents. What does Jesus say in John 8? You are of your father, the devil. This is a difficult truth, but it is something that we must keep in our minds, especially as we're living out our Christian life and making disciples. There are two groups of people in this room right now. There are children of God and there are children of Satan. There is no third category. There is no third option. And you may be sitting there thinking, oh, it's not a big deal. Whatever. But if we knew who you were, if the children of God knew who the children of Satan were in this room, we would run to you. We would plead with you. Don't do this foolishness. You don't know how much time you have. This is worse than playing with fire. But we tend to think, oh, I have ample time. We keep saying peace and safety. You know, God doesn't need to work anything miraculous to kill someone. Ordinary means of secondary causation. He doesn't have to open up the ground to swallow you alive. You could choke on a piece of food. And die. And if you die while a child of Satan, you will have fellowship with him for all eternity. And we tend to think we have time. 
But we were reminded just today about Kobe Bryant, 41 years old, dead. Do you think he, he planned to die today? Do you think he had things planned out well for himself? That he had time? He had things he was going to do. His daughter was with him. He didn't expect for this to happen. Our days are like grass. Have you ever considered how patient God is with you? And though you tend to think you may not be a bad person, Hitler's a bad person. I'll tell you this. Hitler's hell compared to yours, his hell will be like air conditioning compared to yours. Because you have heard the word preached and preached and preached and you have hardened your heart against it. You have sinned and sinned and sinned against the blood of Christ. So Hitler killed a bunch of people. Is that atrocious? Absolutely, that's atrocious and disgusting. But that's what fallen men do when God takes away his restraining grace. There is a huge difference between sinning against the blood of Christ and hardening your heart against the truth of the gospel versus just not hearing the gospel, not being entrusted with any truth, and living your life for yourself. And those who have more truth and more light will have a hotter time in hell with a God who is angry. He's angry with the wicked every day. And though you may think you're not that bad, you are a child of Satan and you will be with him where he is. So the punishment extracted upon Satan will be what you receive. I hope that this message makes you jealous for the love of God and that you would run to him. Who are the participants of adoption? Number two, we've looked at the fourfold fatherhood of God a number of times. The fourfold fatherhood of God. God is called in one sense, in Acts 17, father by means of creation. He creates everybody. We also are his children. Is that what's in view with adoption? No. And we went through this during Sermon on the Mount. And we went through this also uh, again. He is the father of Israel. It's called his theocratic fatherhood. Israel is his son. He's the father of Jesus Christ. By eternal generation. He's always been the father to the son. The son has always been his son. And then there's the fourth one, which is what is in view here. Father by means of adoption. Father by means of adoption. We become children of God, by the Father adopting us, snatching us out of the family of Satan and placing us into his family. Indeed, he foreordained every single detail in our lives so that we would become his children. Have you ever thought about that? God works all things together for good for those who love him and been called according to his purpose. Even the predestination of adoption. 
It would be a glorious and miraculous thing for us just to be saved from our sins and to be able to go to heaven. But he goes, superabounds that and calls us into his family. It's one thing to go out and give somebody some food to eat as they're out on the street. It's another thing to pick them up, carry them into your house, get them cleaned up, feed them, and give them a bed in your home. That's what God does with his children. But so much, so much vast, so much more vast than that. When what? We were by nature, dead in our trespasses and sins, It says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You know what children of wrath? Children to receive the wrath of God. If you're outside of Christ... God's wrath is presently abiding on you. In a sense, you could say he is more angry with you than with those poor souls in hell. Because those souls in hell are receiving justice, but you're not. You're receiving mercy and kindness and you're spurning that when it's meant to lead you to repentance. I pray you don't harden your heart. 2 Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, cursed children. There are cursed children. And you go, oh, those are false teachers. That's different. Two categories of children. Two fathers. You're going to sit and argue about the varying degree, whether a false teacher or not a false teacher, all children of Satan go to hell. They are cursed. Only those whom the Father has freely and sovereignly chosen, without coercion from us or bribes from us, shall receive this sonship. And look at number three, the prize of adoption. The prize of adoption. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us for himself in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love in Christ in him through Christ in the one who is beloved the prize of adoption is love and communion with the triune god love and communion with the triune god and for those of you who are outside of Christ i pray this makes you jealous I pray that you long for this love, that you long for this communion. For there is no sweeter fellowship than that of the triune God. We belonged to another family. All of us were children of wrath, sons of disobedience. We had no stake, no claim upon God's family. We had no right in and of ourselves to say, that's mine, I want that. Furthermore, we have debts. We have debts from our natural family. But part of adoption, this is why Paul pulls on this, because it reflects the truth. He's not saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say all, this, all these concepts that are going on in the world around me, 
I'm just going to make the scripture fit that. No, he's saying this is a concept that fits the revelation I've been given by God. When adoption would happen, that prior family had no more rights, no more claims on that child. That first family, nothing. No rights, no legal claims, nothing. And any debt that that person had, and these often weren't babies, but were older children, and sometimes even adults, any debt that that person had was canceled out. It is a new life with a new family. Old is gone. New has come. God frees us from all debt and legal obligations from our previous family. And he graces us with all the rights and privileges of our new family. Everything that Christ has received, he shares with us. You know, sometimes with adoption, there's this, uh, this sense of shame. Sometimes, you know, you see TV documentaries and stuff on kids, uh, especially with celebrities, and they're like, and I found out I was adopted. So I went on this big search to find my biological parents and this and that, and there's this kind of, why didn't you want me? That's, that's not what's going on here. Oh, Satan wants you. But his will is subject to God. And God said, no, these are my children, part of my plan. There's no shame here. God takes us and brings us in and he doesn't look down the corridors of time. He didn't submit a list to some mediator to say, here's some qualities and characteristics. By name, if you are in Christ, you were chosen by name before the foundation of the world. Not because of anything good in us. But according to his good pleasure. You have been loved from all eternity. By the triune God whose love is perfect. Do you understand? He can't love you anymore. It's not possible for him to love you anymore. Because it's perfect. Your cup overflows. He chose you to be loved. Why did God choose me? So that he could love you. And so that you would love him. I'm talking about this sappy American love or this unconditional affirmation. I'm talking about actual actions and affections Wrapped together. He chose you in Christ. This brings us to number four. The privileges of adoption. God cherishes us with a fatherly love. He cherishes us. With a fatherly love. Ephesians 2.4 says... But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. 1 John 4, 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we, we might live through him. And living through him, we are loved as Christ is loved, because we are in Christ. 
the privileges of adoption. I was the first. I had 10 privileges of adoption. Number two, second privilege of adoption. God protects, protects, and preserves us with a fatherly love. He protects and preserves us with a fatherly love. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, guarded in heaven for you, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You've been cherished. You are presently cherished with a fatherly love. You are protected and preserved by fatherly love. And God provides for us, number three, with a fatherly care. Matthew 6. Don't worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Why do they eagerly seek them? Because their father is Satan. You know what Satan wants to do with his communion with his children? He wants to see them burn for all eternity. Could you imagine a father like that today? We read some of these horror stories sometimes about these sick and twisted people and the way they chain their children up. That's what Satan does. Jesus says, no, for your father, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He provides for us. He has a specially, number four, special fatherly compassion on us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. For just as a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Our father commits to hear our prayers. Matthew 7, 11. Have you considered that? God doesn't hear every prayer. Obviously, he knows that they're being prayed, but he doesn't respond. He's not like having an ear like, hey, I've got his ear. If you're outside of Christ, the only thing he'll hear from you is please forgive me. Please, Lord, I need mercy. Please give me Christ. Apart from that, you have nothing coming. But Matthew 7, 11 says, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Children of God, are you in need of something today? Is there something that you need? Have you asked your father? It could be that we do not have because we do not ask. Have you asked him? Our father sets us free. Number six and number seven, our father has made us co-heirs 
with Christ. Look at Romans 8.12 again. Romans 8.12 So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. A spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, it's unfortunately one of those words that's been abused throughout history. It doesn't mean daddy. It is an emphatic plea. Father, it's in the vocative. It's a strong address. Like you hear sometimes in the Psalms, Oh Lord, it's Oh Father. And because of the emphasis and emphaticness of that statement, you don't just get to say that to anybody. So it shows that there is this unique and special relationship. Because you are able to come to the high court of heaven and say, Oh, Father. And be speaking in truth. And to have an audience with him. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. We just graze right through this so often. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Have you ever thought about that? You know, when you think about maybe you have somebody that, in your family that you know or somebody that passes and they have a will and, and they leave you something in it and you're like, hey, that's kind of exciting. I got this bookcase. Or whatever it is. Or maybe you're fighting over money or something with other family members about it. Because you're an heir to that estate, however big or small. We are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We're going to talk about grace. That is amazing grace that we would have this benefit, this opportunity. This gift. Our Father gives His angels to serve us. It's the eighth privilege of adoption. Hebrews 1.14 Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? What are they sending? What are they doing service? They're those who will inherit salvation. He gives his angels to serve us. We tend to look at angels and we go, well, look at, they're mighty, they're powerful. Look at the angels struck down 185,000 in one night. And they are. And our Father has given us these angels to render service 
for us who will inherit salvation. They long to look into these things because from their perspective, there was just one, one choice, and they failed. And they were cast off. No opportunity for forgiveness, no opportunity for repentance. There's the holy angels and the fallen angels, and that's it. Number nine, our Father disciplines us for our good. Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Have you ever thought about that as you're struggling? When you're going through, how many of us go through trials? So about 2%. Okay. You guys are not living the Christian life if you're not going through trials. How often do you give in and you don't struggle up to the point of shedding blood? But you give in and you go, God's gracious, he'll forgive. We shouldn't presume upon him like that. We're in a fight He hasn't called us to give in. You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. As sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. This is very clear. If you're not receiving discipline, from God, you're not one of his sons. If he does not discipline you, you are outside of Christ. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, all sons, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. All those who, one, who translated this said, all those who do not receive discipline are bastards. It sounds harsh. Because it is. Children of God, children of Satan. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may, what? Share in his holiness. So that we would share in his holiness. Our Father unifies us in his family, number 10. We understand the bond of a family. We all have family members. And especially just after having the holidays, where we sit and we talk and we're like, yeah, I had to spend time with family. And there's this odd kind of obligation, isn't there? I'm related to this person by blood, therefore I have to spend time with them. Even though I'd rather not be doing that. Even though I'd rather be spending time with these people. It's a weird obligation, but it's separated by death. 
the very least, is separated by death. That bond is broken. This family bond through adoption is furthered with death. It's furthered with death. As we saw in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither life nor death, angels or principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you value your adoption? Do you value your adoption? We won't be able to get through all seven of these today, which I think is a good thing. When was the last time that you meditated and reflected on your sonship in Christ, heir, preeminent? that you would receive the heir. Who gets to receive the inheritance? Only the firstborn. But he's saying, you get to receive an inheritance. How has your relationship with your human family changed as a result of your relationship through adoption to God? How has your relationship with non-believers changed? How has your relationship with believers changed as a result of your adoption to God? That is a great place to go to look at and to see, okay, am I just giving lip service? And if I am, how long have I been doing that? Or is my heart actually there? Peter began to say to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farm along with persecutions. In the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. What does your relationship look like with your family? Do you have unsaved family? What does your relationship look like with them? How do you love them? Do you keep quiet around them with regard to salvation? Do you discuss difficult truths with them? At what extent are we commanded to stop preaching the gospel? Is there a limit by where, oh, it's not going anywhere, we just need to agree to disagree? Is there a limit in that, in Scripture? I know there's pearls before swine, but if they're not getting angry, we can talk with them. We don't need to go and talk with them about the doctrine of election and predestination, that's not going to be beneficial. But when do we not live for Christ? When is God not our Father? When are we not called to live out the family name and to be about the family business? 
What is the family business? As we continue to look at adoption, we need to ask ourselves, do I look more and more like my father? And think about the love with which he has poured out on our hearts. The love with which he's actually given to our status. We are legally no longer children of Satan. We are legally children of God. He has set his love upon us. We are loved. We'll always be loved with a love that will not increase and a love that will not decrease and a love that nothing can stop because as we've seen in the weeks prior, God is sovereign over everything. And so when he calls us to himself to love us, no one can say to him, what are you doing? He is sovereign over all. Let us take time this week. Let's focus on and reflect and the adoption that we have as sons and order our lives according to that. We're not, not looking at it as employees that have to do this and have to do that, but as sons that love our Father and long to be pleasing to Him. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. Lord, let us reflect throughout the week. Let us meditate on you as our Father and the rights and privileges that we have through adoption. Lord, I don't, I can't grasp that you would love me, that you would even love me to the extent that your word says you do. Lord, help me to respond out of that love by loving you. Help all of us to grow in loving you. And for those who are here, who are outside of that love, who are yet children of Satan, Lord, I pray that you would make their lives miserable, that their lives would be wretched and hard, and that you would use that from that black backdrop to show them again the gospel of your son, your someone to bring them this message of reconciliation and the love that is available only in Christ to be brought into adoption and have you as their father. Pray that you would make them miserable so that they might see your kindness and turn in repentance. Lord, let us live for you this day as your sons, as your children. In Christ's name, amen.